choices to be kind today to be empathetic today we don't emphasize enough we are always delaying that we're saying okay tomorrow we can do that day after we can do that next month will be a good month people have often asked me what's the one message you will give teacher and i keep saying you only have today that's the only day you have we there's this classic kind of dilemma case study that is said that if if you knew at 12 o'clock you were going the world was going to end what lesson will you teach Welcome back to Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. This is the producer of the show, Basim, speaking to you. And this time we're joined by Kieran Birsethi, the founder of Design for Change, which is the world's largest movement for change of and by children, operating in 44 countries and impacting millions of students and teachers. She's also the director of the celebrated Riverside School in Ahmedabad, India. Kieran is a designer who became a teacher a principal who grew into an education reformer and subsequently morphed into a social entrepreneur. Once again, before we start, do let us know your thoughts and how you're doing on your side, as we're always happy to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. And with that, we give you the host of the show and CEO of Wise, Stavros Yanuka, to kick things off. Hello to everyone joining us from around the world for another episode of Wise Words. Uh, my guest today is Kiran Sethi, the uh, founder of the Riverside School in India, a social entrepreneur, a designer for change. She has a great many accolades. Uh, Kiran, welcome to, to Wise Words. Thank you, Savros. Excited to be here. Kiran, it's great, great to have you with us. You and I had a conversation, uh, gosh, it must have been almost a month ago now, though I, I, I've certainly lost track of, of or any sense of, of time, but we had a conversation uh, on the Education Disrupted, Education Reimagined convening, and, and we said we would record this, this podcast as a, as a follow-up. Let, let me start by uh, offering my condolences. Uh, I, I know that you, you, uh, uh, you, you had a loss. Your mother uh, passed away last week, so Please accept my condolences and the condolences of the of the wise community for uh, for your loss. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, I, and and I wonder, and and I, you and I um, had a little chat, you know, before we we went live, and and I asked you whether you were comfortable uh, talking about about the loss of your mother and what what sort of thoughts it stimulated in you in terms of uh, of, of education and the the kind of environment you we find ourselves in at the moment, and I was just wondering. I, I mean, I think it would be great to to share those with uh, with the folks who are tuned in. Yeah, I, I like I was sharing with you. I, I I'm it's a peculiar situation that we are in. I was unable to reach my mother's uh, hometown, uh, and I am still uh, you know away from her. So. You know, technology plays an unusual role in our lives. On one hand, I was able to participate uh, in all the rituals and the traditions of my mother's passing through Zoom. We had a Zoom link when one of our, fest, uh, our uh, rituals were happening. Through FaceTime, I was able to see her, her, her final passing and, you know, when we finally put her ashes into the water and et cetera. You know, and it, and it, and it gave me a very, very um, sort of a lucid understanding of what 
what I lost, one is, of course, I lost my mother. And that was, of course, a pain by itself. But I lost all the senses as well. You know, I I wasn't able to activate the sense of touch and and, and hearing and smell and and feeling that that is so part of an experience that that kind of then finally uh, plants its seeds into the mind. So I was there. I was in. I, I was there. I observed and I participated. But at, I couldn't. I, I didn't have the other extensions of the senses that could make that that moment into an experience for me. Yeah. And and I was also sharing with you that thirty years ago my father passed, and and um, and I remember everything. I remember the heat of the furnace where my father was finally taken into. I remember uh, the touch of his hand that went cold. I remember, uh, you know, the smell of the incense that was, and I can still remember how overpowering it was. And I was thinking to myself, oh my God, my father would not like the smell it's just too much, you know, because he had this thing about smell. And 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 all of those thirty years down is is as vivid as if at it was yesterday. And and I was thinking, with learning, there's such a difference between learning something intellectually and maybe cognitively, and experiencing something. And with children and with learning, I've realized that if you don't fire all the senses and have them participate in that moment equally, it's it's it doesn't have a complete experience. So for me, I felt that loss, of course, the loss, but I I was then thinking to myself, going forward, how do I understand the the role the senses play when we go forward to craft this so-called online learning that we will have to do and we will venture into for our children over the over the coming months, more so, but eventually it's going to become part of our lives. I mean, I think the online space is going to become not incidental to the learning program that schools will have to do, but it'll become part and parcel of the way we will now look at the world. So I'm curious within myself to figure out how do I activate the senses and make, how do we consciously and intentionally ensure that we don't just make it uh, a learning ex- uh, a learning moment, but an experiential moment. So in both ways, I registered that moment and then figured out into my head, what do I do with this understanding for myself uh, going forward? Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And I think it's interesting because I think you're, you're highlighting one of, the, one of the shortcomings of, I guess, this form of interaction is, is the, the partial desensitization of it, right? So... There, there is a there is a distance that that technology cannot bridge, right? And that's you know that's uh, uh, I guess the you know the the sense of proximity and 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 what comes from that sense of proximity, touch, smell, um, even even other kind of you know less tangible perhaps sensations that uh, cannot be overcome or cannot be replaced by by video conferencing. And yes, yeah, and I wonder again, you know, as we, as we, as educators, as we think um, about how to incorporate technology, I think you've raised the very uh, into learning. You've raised the very kind of pertinent question that we we mustn't forget that these other senses do play a part as well. I uh, think such a crucial part because I think in different ways, when we finally remember or recall an experience, the senses fire, and at different times and different places for different people. There's a particular uh, space in the mind and in the mental sort of, you know, 
network that mm. it fires and then and comprehensively brings that moment alive again and 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 then the ability to relive learning is that much more important and 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 sort of significant otherwise i mean if i'm just looking at my 15 years that i went to school nothing was experiential so i can't recall moments except for the time when we went to a picnic and that picnic yeah. became such a big deal for my thing because we were uh, you know we were we had different portions of the brain that were firing so and and i keep thinking to myself my god what a uh, um it's so common sense in one in one way that you, everything kind of has to be part of the experience and yet education for the longest time has not activated that portion as intention and i keep using the word intentionally i mean by by chance we might do one terrific experience or an experiment or a, you know a visit or a trip but it's not intentionally um crafted as part of the learning moment so i'm very curious to know as we go forward how do we build those moments uh, through uh, this idea called the interface and you know the online learning yeah. or the e of e learning should be really the emotional learning i don't know something emotions yeah yeah as, as opposed to just the electronic right yeah, yeah. exactly yeah no the, the 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 other item we sort of touched on when when sort of reflecting on the on the passing of your of your mom was this this idea of 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 preparedness for for loss and while you know you can never be i think fully prepared for the loss of a of a loved one you know let, let alone a, a parent you know we we both both you and i agreed that that you know in our education system basically just doesn't deal with that issue at all right i mean we we don't we stay so far away from it that you know that that it, again I, i and yet it's such an integral part of life that that i i do wonder sometimes you know are we are we doing enough and in the current environment that we're in now where you know for a lot of people death has suddenly become a a, a very real possibility you know i wonder how equipped we are to deal with something something like like this emotionally and uh and and spiritually yeah i mean i would i would go so far to say that we don't even deal at prepare our children for failure whatever this failure word is you know we mm. we kind of make it a very big deal as if it happens at the end of a part of your life and and but it's dealt with with a way that makes it as if i am a failure you know it, it kind of puts yeah. the the onus onto the person rather than what did not go as well and loss of this kind i think also different cultures deal with it very differently i have seen that as well i mean yeah. i do know that uh, my partner or my friends in bhutan have a wonderful way to deal with the passing of a loved one you know it's dealt with as part and parcel of nature cycle and you know it's just kind of dealt with as with with that sense of i think mindfulness and uh, and gentleness you know that mm-hmm. it it happens and in some cultures and some communities uh, it's not talked about it's not kind of something that we should we should talk about preparedness for for loss is is again it it's if you're born you're going to die I and mean, that's the biggest truth that ever exists and we don't know when 
Yeah. You know, that's the that's the only truth that is is self evident. Like, you, if you're born, there will be death, and you don't even know. You don't have a kind of you know a deadline to say, okay, this is when it's going to happen. So I think uh, this time has kind of made it. In fact, a lot of what you will hear the conversation is our emotional strength of our children is being something that we have to work towards. The idea yeah. of getting them to be stronger about dealing with with uh, fear, anxiety. All of this is becoming the central conversation in education. So I think uh, somewhere going forward, we will see a lot more of these conversations happening, a lot more of the idea of how do you uh, build in resilience within yourself to deal with something that you might lose. And to start with a simple thing like losing a pet or losing something. So I think we have to build that back into the conversation of education. I do know for a lot of us, we it's really going to come back to say, what is the space for when people come together what are those conversations going to be and i highlighted it uh, before in in the talk to say that god really we cannot teach children what they can learn by themselves and stuff like loss and dealing with it you need at others you need to be, have those conversations you need to feed off each other bounce off each other learn how somebody else receives that information and registers it so i think coming back i'm kind of hopeful and excited about how learning and education will shift its and pivot away from what we've considered the main purpose of schooling and then pivot to say what are we learning and you know it's not just schooling anymore i think we we really going to reimagine what that word schooling uh, will be for us well i mean just i i've often drawn a distinction between schooling and education i yeah. i don't think they're the same thing um but i i let we we don't need to go down that path right now but i think this is a good segue um, I would have ordinarily asked you just to sort of briefly introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about about your work, but maybe this is a good segue to do that and talk to us specifically about kind of the philosophy that animates uh, Riverside School. Well, uh, I don't know how much uh, the audience would know, but it's I, I am a designer by profession. I um, graduated in uh, with a degree in mass in uh, visual communication. I was having the best life. I was designing restaurants and doing some crazy ass things and really, really having a fun time. And, 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 um, and I, what I, I remember then, and I remember now I love ideas. I am such an idea harvester. I, I think ideas are awesome. Right. And I used to keep testing these ideas and, 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 and figuring out what, what if, and I love the word, what if, and I kept asking who said that, why not? So I think that that was a common thread growing up. And then I became a mom uh, and I fell in love with my child. And I remember holding him in my arms and thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be such a great journey together. And when he was ready to go to school, I sent him to this so-called, you know, premier school in the city because my husband had graduated from that school. And typically, I don't think parents that time, I'm talking about 30 years ago, yeah. were ever conscious of it, asking the question about about education or schools. I've known of parents who will, who will argue to get the right tomato in a vegetable shop, but not ask the questions of a school. You know, that's, we just kind of yeah. follow the trend. And I put him into the school and very early on it, I remember three months in, he would, he would have been five and a half. And I remember going to school and thinking that the teacher would love him and he was such an awesome kid and she would have stories to say. And I go and meet her and I say, so tell me about my son. Tell me what he loves doing. Tell me about his stories. And she looks at me with this really bored expression, says, what is his role number? 
And that's it. My son didn't even have a name. Wow. And, and at that point, I remember thinking, my God, he's just a statistic of a nation. He's one of those 300 million children that go to school. And, you know, that's it. Yeah. And I took him out of school thinking, God, there has to be a better way. And I remember I put on a mother's hat being anguished by the fact my son did not have a name. And then I put on my designer hat saying, what if? I'm, I'm sure there has to be a better way out of this. Yeah. So I think what I had to my... Uh, my advantage was being a designer and then being able to say that you are who you've been waiting for. You are the choice. So I said, okay, there has to be a better way. Let me start a school. And I remember thinking to myself again that I was not changing education. It was just starting a school so my son could have a really great learning journey. And that was 20 years ago. So I started a school in my home, uh, loved the idea of iteration, prototyping, user centered. Mm -hmm. So I put design thinking. Uh, as the default ethos and framework, kept listening to the child, kept listening and asking them, what is it? Is this how you learn? You know, and, and they actually became co-designers to the learning journey. And that's it. So 20 years down, um, design thinking still shapes the user experience. Uh, student agency for the greater good is the requirement of, of the program. And yeah, and since then, of course, Design for Change was one of the other initiatives I started 10 years ago, essentially saying that if it's happening at Riverside, why can't it you know, reach the other corners of the world? Today, the same framework that we use at Riverside, the feel, imagine, do, share is, is now being used in 72 odd countries, getting children to, to kind of activate their own agency for the greater good. So that's been uh, the story, but it really started as a very personal you know, yeah. uh, motivation. And I think that's kept the stamina going because it still is personal. It still is something that, that wakes me up every morning to say, my God, what if, and you know, how does learning happen? And yeah. that's, that's the trigger for uh, going forward. And coming back to the same thing that duly I'm, I'm experiencing my mother's loss and then still saying, how do you get the senses back? So in a way it's giving me the opportunity to say, if I could not, experience it i was i was there participating but not experiencing how will i use that same um, understanding to to look at uh, the online learning yeah so that's really been the last 20 years you mentioned in a in our in our earlier conversation that you you felt the teachers and the students of riverside were were prepared or were better prepared for a moment like this than perhaps other um others in the same situation. What? Let's go a little bit deeper in, in explain a little bit about why you think that's the case. And then what have you seen these last few, few weeks? Well, I, I, I believe that, again, if you, develop, if you create a culture where prototyping is, is a fundamental you know, um, value proposition, then you're never scared of change, right? That's the whole point. But if, however, you are fearful of change and you, you create a system and say, let's not change it because it's working, and then you're, you're not able to navigate change in the way it will hit you at multiple times. So over 20 years prototyping or having a bias towards testing something, trying it out, being ready for that, has become part and parcel of the ethos for the children as well as the team. So when the idea of this significant change that we suddenly had to pivot and say, okay, now we're no longer having an offline school and we have to go online. It wasn't a situation that threw us. On the contrary, the team came on board and said, okay, I mean, we typically, 
we 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 uh, we lean into an idea uh, with 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 I think curiosity and creativity both both shape uh, the way we look at something. So uh, it wasn't something that that uh, uh, we were again not prepared for. We had the long hours. We were ready for all the work that had to be done to learn something uh, again. With that, I believe we we then created, I think, a program that allowed multiple of the things that we do offline, which is basically the processes and the purpose, to kind of be shifted online as well. So I think the the idea that you have a team that has a bias towards prototyping and 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 iteration is really really important to be able to then to be be able to say I'm not fearful. In fact, uh, change. Uh, and navigating change becomes so much easier for us to do. Yeah, and then and then so and then how do you sort of keep keep track of of learning outcomes? And how do you sort of? I mean, I think I think the attitude of prototyping, iterating, kind of re, you know, not not being afraid to try different things out is uh, is terrific. How do you keep though track of that 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 something is is working? How much of that is? How much of it is is left? I guess to the individual teacher to determine versus some sort of oversight structure or yeah. function or structure yeah it it takes it takes multiple levels there's not just one size or one one response to it so whilst I remember when we kicked it off when we kicked off the online I remember we had not we had I think over anticipated or, or we had not factored in the fact that for younger children while the student is a central stakeholder, it's the parent through which you reach a child, especially on an online thing. And flexibility had to become the key component of that program, right? So I think what we were very okay with was the idea that we would reach back to the user at different times during uh, the learning moment. So that was one thing that we did. And we had no problem with saying, listen, we're going to go back. We're going to pause here. We're going to get the parents involved or the children involved. In terms of, of tangible outcomes, oh, that's those, I think, large um, sort of uh, benchmarks or milestones are already decided. That means there's a certain standards that we must honor. And we kind of do two standards. We kind of say we do the international standards and then we do the Riverside standards. The Riverside standards would be that character development will not be compromised on. The idea of advisories and office times will not be compromised on. The idea that children will do student agency and run sessions called spark plugs will not be compromised on. Mm. On the other hand, we've got the international standards that we have to honor because we have to get our children prepared for an exit examination that we have to sit for. So we can't be irresponsible towards that. So whilst uh, Riverside is an international school, we sit for the CI, the, the O-levels and the A-levels, right? So those were fairly simple. I don't think that takes rocket science. I mean, the kids have to have a certain learning outcome and that is now, by now, it's a pretty much set pattern of how they will be. There will be performances of understanding that they will do either through uh, debates or videos or whatever. That that's a multiple way. But I think what we were really excited to see how the Riverside standards will still continue. How will the the idea of the humane? And I talked to you briefly that the E of human being human by by chance, but being, being humane by choice. Mm. How does empathy continue to be a factor? How does ethics? How does excellence, elevation, and evolution? How does the E's continue to shape even an online um, uh, program? 
To say that we are absolutely successful, no. I think we had just three weeks of, of testing it and we're excited to go forward and figure out how will that really become a, a central piece going uh, starting in June. I think, again, we will go back to the drawing board and look at that. But, you know, again, I keep saying doing the content piece is the easiest part of the, of the program. I don't think that will ever be a problem. There's enough and more fantastic content out there. Uh, children enjoy the idea of learning, but not necessarily schooling. That's a whole different conversation separately. But I don't think that will be the challenge going forward. I think the real challenge, and I keep going back to how do we, uh, how do we graduate humane citizens, even through an online program for mm -hmm. me. That is where my focus and attention, even as a team, uh, that will be there. So, outcomes are not an issue at all. Yeah. No, and and I mean, I I think it, I think that's fascinating, and I I would argue though that actually I think we need to think about the exact same set of uh, of ease, <laughs> if you will, particularly with reference to the online online context, because so much of life, I mean, even before COVID. So much was going on in the online dimension, and and in fact, I think one one of the things that that we can observe with with a fair degree of confidence is that our humaneness seems to de decline when we you know significantly when we when we enter that digital realm. I mean, people say and do things online that they would never dream of doing in a in a sort of face to face interaction with somebody. Now, part of it is, you know, the, the, the kind of the veil of anonymity that, you know, allows, you know, people to sort of behave, you know, uh, inhumanely. But I think there's, there's something else at play, which, which may have something to do with, with how we began this conversation, which is this kind of desensitization that's happening on, uh, uh, when, you, when you enter the, the digital realm, that you're not, you're not fully engaging your senses and your emotions and i just i wonder if you have any you know any, any thoughts or any insights in into how you how we might begin to sort of tur turn that around i think you've you've hit on the biggest crisis education is facing and i think this happened even before i i have to say that i've been sensing this over the last three years where we've We've just, as, as a species, become more intolerant of the other. And the other could be any other. And we're very creative having ways to make the other, whether I don't like your religion, I don't like the way you talk, I don't like your color, I don't like you, you know. We are extremely creative when it comes to, to, to uh, being intolerant. And I think it yeah. became a heightened sense over the last couple of years to just, I, I think this, this general sense that we have to be fearful and of each other. And we're the same species, for crying out loud. You know, on this planet, if we, if we one had to just kind of hover up on the, in the space and you saw seven billion little pieces of jigsaw puzzle, we're all part of that same. When you put them all together, we're one species. We are the human race, right? But yeah. to be humane is choices we make. And yeah. very often education doesn't ask you to make those choices. It doesn't put you in places of dilemma. It doesn't put you in places of iteration. It doesn't tell you, listen, listen to another. It's all this, that, this perception that I have no time. Oh, but we have enough time to teach a quadratic equation for 15 years, but we don't have enough time to tell you, listen, be compassionate or be kind. Mm. And this conundrum has been there for the longest time. And 
over time, we are we are graduating a citizen mindset that it has to be one versus the other. So I think education can play its greatest role of finally recognizing why do we come together and what is that opportunity when you are with another? It could be one person, 10 people, a thousand people, but the opportunity to, to make a choice on that day, not next 10 years. That's the other biggest lie we've told people. You are the future. God, keeping telling children you're the future, consistently delayed that, mile, uh, that, that milestone, saying, no, no, not now. Now let's learn mathematics, but mm-hmm. tomorrow I'll do a better job. And no, yeah. no, not now. Let's plan for our, our marks. So we, then we told children, my God, your, your marks are your only identity. We didn't tell them, they, we told them they are markable, but not remarkable. You know, that's the one thing I keep, I mean, it just blows my mind. Yeah. And, and again, and I, and again, I keep coming back to in the first two years of a child's life on the planet, they're telling us, look at me, I'm amazing. They do the greatest evolutionary steps from going from, from crawling to standing, talking and laughing in, yeah. in the first two years of their life. And then we say, no, 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 not now. Now sit down. Now don't talk to another. Now be fearful. Now don't, uh, now just, you know, you know, sort of completely uh, sort of reduce your entire worldview into just you and, and yourself. So I think choices to be kind today, to be empathetic today, yeah. uh, we don't emphasize enough. We are always delaying that. We're saying, okay, tomorrow we can do that. Day after we can do that. Next month will be a good month. So again, when people have often asked me, what's the one message you will give teachers? And I keep saying, you only have today. That's the only day you have. And if today, if we, there's this classic kind of dilemma um, mm-hmm. uh, case study that is said that if, 20, if you knew at 12 o'clock you were going to, the world was going to end, what lesson will you teach? If a teacher can think on that frame and say, if 12 o'clock today the world was going to end and I had the opportunity to be in front of 25, 30, whatever, what lesson will I teach? I can guarantee you they will not be in a classroom firstly. They will be out having a conversation. Yeah. And then suddenly they realize that they are a walking curriculum. They don't need a PhD to be kind. You know, and that's what I keep telling you. You have the power within you. You have the opportunity to smile. And children again and again are telling us that teacher that made a difference to me was a teacher who went outside the class and recognized that I had a name. Yeah. They're repeatedly telling us that, right? Yeah. And we are constantly saying, no, 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 that's not important. That can happen on one of those Fridays, you know, when there's a sports session that we will take away and we do that. So, and that's, and that's what I want to give the confidence back to say that, no, you just, if you put the attention on today, your tomorrow is anyway taken care of. So that's what I have learned. And that's what I have, I've yeah. seen children telling us over the 20 years. So with confidence, I'm able to, it's not a two-year experiment. I'm saying for 20 years we've done this. We've, we've done this. We've tracked our alumni and our alumni coming back and telling us these stories about how, I remember one of my boys went to this very premier engineering college, you know, where everybody wants to go to. And, he, and our children write back mails to us the first month they've been into a college and to say, hi, K-Ma'am and all of this. And he said, you know, K-Ma'am, everybody uh, laughed at me when I said thank you to the canteen boy. You know, and it was a small little moment. And he says today, he's saying everybody's decided they'll take the plate back and they'll put the plate back and they'll help the canteen boy. And it is that that finally is your success. Not your marks and not your results. That way it's your, your children who will take these stories into the world and, te- and, and influence that little place over there. 
Yes. And that opportunity is what education should be preparing our children for. That that little moment when when a child leaves your space and is and is making their little little my, my you know ecosystems better, kinder, mm-hmm. um, more tolerant. Uh, the marks will come. I mean that uh, that's the easy play. That's the easy part. Yeah. Yeah. What are what are your thoughts, Kieran, on on teaching ethics in a in a sort of more systematic way because a lot of a lot of what what you what you're talking about falls broadly speaking under the rubric of of ethics including in, including some of the, those tough decisions that we you know we we talked about or, or dealing with with difficult subjects like uh, like the passing of a loved one what what are your thoughts on that? Is is that something you 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 tackle directly at at, uh, at Riverside or through D DFC or or is that something that's sort of woven into into the curriculum that you you offer? You know, ethics is an interesting word. You know, uh, and and sometimes people think ethics is a very um, you know I have to take a right or wrong answer. It isn't. It isn't. It's much. No. It's it's such a imagination is an ethical decision that you do. Because imagination, while it's fantastic and it's broad and it's liberating, when you take a choice from that imagination to do a preferred scenario, you take responsibility for that change. Yeah. And responsibility is not often taught. It's not, it's, it, it's, so it's, it's an action that is taught, but not responsibility towards the action. And that's how design thinking becomes, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of design thinking. I keep falling back to that framework. But that's the beauty of ethics, that I take responsibility, whether even if it's a simple thing like rewriting my essay. And that's the iterative process, right? The idea of refinement comes from, I've received a, a sort of feedback loop. And within that, I take a choice to make it better or not. Then I can't complain about, oh, I didn't get the marks. I think that's a very foolish way that we look at uh, the work we do. So the idea of ethics is consistently come back to our children to say, if you have to make something better or you're choosing to say, I want a better sports day. I want to, hey, okay, ma'am, we want to design a better sports day. Fine. Start doing the feel imagine. So what's the crux of, of sports day, the empathy? A lot of our ch- uh, children didn't look forward to it because they thought sports day was for the fastest, the strongest, and the quickest. So we wanted to reimagine. So to reimagine, the imagine was, how can sports day be the most inclusive and most, uh, you know, uh, sort of preferred day of the year? So they completely redesigned it to have everybody participate. So our sports day is crazy. We have speech writers, we have logo designers, we have chant makers, we have graphic designers. So everybody gets a role to play in that sports day. And finally, the design of the sports day today has been design keeping the imagination and the ethics in place, starting from empathy, but not just let's do a sports day. Mm. So in everything that we do, we keep falling back and we the fidelity to the process allows the, 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 the action to be more intentional and user-centered. Mm. So I keep saying the fidelity to the process is important. Otherwise, as human beings, we love doing stuff. We think we're very important when we do action, but we yeah. don't sometimes know towards what. So often our children are solving the wrong problems because they're not part, they've not done the feel and imagine. And then what happens is they say, see, nothing changes. And that mindset gets put into our children. Then cynicism comes in and they say, oh, what can one person do? Nothing mm-hmm. changes. So, the, so I, I, I would advocate strongly that when you start with empathy, 
start understanding the user. So I keep saying the who and the why will, will inform the what and the how. And mm-hmm. that's how ethics is part of every decision making we take. It's part of the ethos. It's part of crafting and articulating the imagine and then actioning from that. So yeah. it, it's, it's a mindset that you develop. You, you never start with saying, what will I do? Uh-uh, sorry, you can't just do. What's your feel and imagine? And so the kids now go back and they, they recognize that they have to do those first two steps. It's yeah. not easy. It's not mm-hmm. easy. And people uh, don't like to pause. They don't like yeah. to take a little bit of a pause. You know, you want to do that speed. And, and, but once you make it a mindset, God, you really, you really gain time. You, you actually mm-hmm. gain those times because otherwise you're not, uh, suddenly time is not a, not a factor anymore. Yeah. If you do the steps well, you're able to move forward together uh, with with greater ease. Yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, but I think that's that's interesting, and I think I think oftentimes people confuse confuse ethics with with morality. So morality is about you know the do's and don'ts, and and those tend to you know they can be culture context specific, time specific. I mean you know th- think about you know, many of the, of the don'ts of, of uh, years gone by that are now not only seen as, as perfectly acceptable, but even, even in some instances desirable. Morality changes. Ethics for me speaks to, and, and I think this is what you were alluding to, it speaks to the process that you follow in order to determine what is potentially the optimal path to, to take, you know, given a set of, of circumstances. And, and I think it also speaks to oftentimes the realization that there may not be a, an optimal path, that sometimes you may just have to choose between, you know, two lesser wrongs. And so, so again, it is, it, is, it is about addressing difficult questions and about pausing and, yeah. and, and reflecting. I mean, you know, think of the current situation that we're in now. I, I think everyone is you know, everyone is, is rightly saying, okay, lockdown, yes, of course, you know, let's, let's save lives. But then what, what happens, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to, to hear what your thoughts are, but we, you know, what happens in a, in a place like India where, you know, you have a sizable population that is, is sort of living hand to mouth and suddenly if not being able to work for a day, a week, a month can have profound consequences on on your livelihood, your well-being, that of your family. I mean, thinking about difficult trade-offs like that, I, I mean, th- that's ethics to me. It's not about easy answers. It's not about, you know, thou shalt not or, or thou shalt. It's about addressing those, those, those tough... Yeah, those wicked questions, they say. Wicked yeah. questions, yeah. Yeah. It, it isn't easy. And, I mean, just yesterday, our prime minister did come on air again to announce, you know, what would the future or the, the path look like. And I can just understand, understand what, what, a tenge, what must be going on in his mind, considering these are tough decisions to take, whether you exactly like it's a space like India, where you have so the population itself can be an advantage or a massive, you know, um, area where we have to think about. So I am not envious of what, what he's thinking at the moment, but I can just tell you again that yes, Ethics is, is, is universal. It's like you said, it's not like morals or values, which are, you know, that could be uh, either for a community or a cultural specific. And, um, and it comes from 
looking at users. It, it never comes from a product. It comes from always the idea of empathy. And when mm-hmm. ethics is built on empathy, I mean, it's catalyzed by empathy. Then, right, like you said, whilst the, whilst the outcome is not always easy and neat and clean, it's definitely driven by a user experience that is enhanced. That has, made, that has been made a little bit more sensitive or, or, or friendly, which we call user-friendly, right? I mean, that's, that's the nomenclature that is often used. So I find that if we uh, are true to the process, you're less likely to feel that it's by chance. Again, it's by design then you, you go forward. And then sometimes, not sometimes, I would say it's a useful uh, reference point whenever you're stuck. And for me, at, at least in a school, it's such an easy thing. When in doubt, go back to the child. Uh, we always do that. When in doubt, let's just talk to the kids. They will, they will be able to lead it. And that uh, relationship that you have with your user is remarkable because then that voice is so powerful and such an integral uh, uh, feature in the design solution that it becomes... Uh, You'll never be scared. And that's another thing that I've learned. Over the 20 years, I've never been scared. As a team, we've never been scared because we've always, we've never done something just because it was easy or just because it was because there was a fad or somebody else said it. I remember the number of decisions I made at Riverside where it was not, it was not taken too kindly by the parent body because they didn't understand it because they're so used to a certain way. But when you inform them with, with the way the user gets, uh, where, the, where, you've, where you've, you've done the, the true process, there's a buy-in. But we've never been scared. I mean, there have been tough decisions we've taken. We've taken kids out and started doing rack picking, and we've done the craziest stuff. And all it's taken is for that relationship and, that, and, and the idea of what do we want our children to graduate with? You know, passion and compassion. If those two words are going to be the the greatest reason to graduate our children, then boss, we're going to be doing it. And the ch- and you'll find that your parents might not always understand it, but when they see a team that is deeply devoted to the user and to its journey and to that outcome, they will become your allies. So I think that's one thing I would learn. You will never be scared. And often education has always been fearful. Oh, what will the government say? What will the parents say? Let us give the, what will, what will the other? But we've forgotten it's your child. That's the story that will always drive you forward. So I think um, that's given us a lot of, lot of courage. Uh, And I think that's a good thing to have when you're with the children. And, and, well, presumably the the kids are also in this, in this circumstance, your, your allies, right? I mean, especially if they're, if they're enjoying the experience then that's that's definitely something that that you know will will go some way to assuaging parental concerns. Um, yeah, yeah, they complain quite often sometimes, <laughs> but we say, oh, and well, but when they realize the purpose, whether the kids like, are having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I yeah, sometimes uh, that's an interesting thing, right? A lot of parents say, but he's enjoying it too much. I mean, it can't yeah. be serious if you're enjoying it too much. You know, an idea can be simple and mature at the same time. And that's beautiful because simplicity doesn't mean it's superficial. You know, especially when it's well thought out, there's a maturity in the thinking. Making something simple is, I'm a great fan of it. I don't think complicating and being self-congratulatory is of any use to anybody. I love the idea of, you know, the essence and taking the purity of it, 
making it so simple that it's accessible and therefore replicable. But the maturity in the thinking, that is where I love the work. You know, that's really where the real fun is. And, and that comes from iteration. That comes from learning. That comes from not taking an idea and saying, ah, that's it. It's done. I love the fact that it continues to simmer. And, you know, that's a nice thing to have. Yeah. Kiran, what, what are your thoughts on post-COVID? I mean, what, what are your fears, hopes coming out of this, out of this crisis as, as we eventually must and, and will come out of, on the other side? You know, uh, I think it's going, it's, it's going to give us a confidence of what we thought could happen, but now we know can happen. So that's the simple thing, like, what are schools for? Uh, why, why, I think it's going to help remove several of the myths that we thought a child had to come every single day. It had to be a certain way. We needed this. I think uh, it will give us the confidence uh, that learning is that fluid. And I think it'll, 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 that fluidity will become part and parcel of the learning program. And I think I'm excited to see how how fluid that can be without coming in the way of emotions and senses. I, I, I'm, I'm going to see the tension between these two and see I'm excited about the fluidity of, of what learning can be. And we knew it deep down, but we didn't really test and push. So I'm excited about that. I am possibly, uh, I, I don't like using words like worried and, and stuff because I feel that then you're uh, encountering a situation with, with uh, with not the biggest opt- with with not your full self, I would prefer to have words in my head about you know I'm optimistic about or I'm curious. About. I, I'm, I'm and I'm thinking curiosity is wh- where I am right now. I, I okay. I'm not at optimism as yet because I don't know, yeah. but I'm, I'm I'm thinking I, I'm I'm curious about how much we can find and resolve and evolve into this new way of the online and offline. I am definitely confident that we will all realize as a human species that we need each other and that we can't do without each other. I think that that is something we will be more grateful for and we will understand that we may, must make time for people. And I think that's something I feel would, I'm hoping it lasts uh, longer this time than any other time. I know that as, as a species, we, we tend to forget very quickly. So it's a good and a bad thing. I think I would like it. I'd like us to forget the anxiety of this time. And I'd like to continue to remember what we learned during this time. Because one thing I've learned is I can do it so much less. I didn't know that. That's the one thing, you know, so I I realize that that's the one thing that I, 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 you get used to, I need three meals a day and I need, I suddenly realize you actually don't need so much. So I think that that was a good really, and I want to, remember that when I go forward. So for myself personally, what I want to remember and I, and I want to go out with curiosity, with confidence and uh, uh, more preparedness for, for another time. And, and what's next for Riverside and for Design for Change? What are you curious about and what, <laughs> what are you hopeful about uh, in terms of their future? I'm hopeful that the the experimentation the the kind of uh, uh, tinkering that we've been doing at this time uh, that it will result in in a really nice balance that i believe should anyway have been the way learning should have been so i'm i like this tinkering that we done and i'm thinking i'm i'm 
I'm going forward. The team is excited about really using that tinkering uh, way to go forward. So I am curious, the next three months is going to bring us a lot of insights. Uh, so, and those insights are going to shape uh, a learning, at least at Riverside. So I'm hoping that's something that we will build into, uh, to at least influence other schools who might want to see how does a balance happen? How do you create the humane uh, mindset, even online? And then I'm, I'm curious to know if we can influence that space uh, as we've done in the past uh, with the other work we've done offline. Uh, for Design for Change, I think it's been exciting. Uh, a lot of my country partners have done remarkable responses to this. In fact, my, my partners in, in, in Singapore have started some really lovely program called DFC Connect, getting children from different parts of the world to talk to each other and understand and keep hope alive. We've got my partner in the US has done some super thing called the Do Good From Home. So the little actions from home and posting it and celebrating that. My partner from Spain has done a similar initiative. My partner from South Africa has done that in India. So I think everyone's now looking at transferring this idea online and continuing to uh, uh, promote student agency uh, online. So, Kiran, it's, it's um, really always a pleasure uh, chatting with you. And, and uh, I'm sure this isn't the last last time that we're going to interact on on this podcast and indeed indeed elsewhere thank you for being on wise words and for sharing your wisdom with us thank you thank you so much bye everybody and there you have it many thanks to kieran for joining us in this discussion and thank you for tuning in once again if you like this episode don't forget to let us know by reaching out to us on our social media channels and let us know what you think all the links for that are in the description and be sure to subscribe to the Wise Words if you want more. Thanks for tuning in and looking forward to having you here next time. All the best. <laughs>